Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. We are very pleased today to have joining us on the program Chico Harlan, who's the Rome Bureau Chief for the Washington Post. And uh, Chico, as we look at the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, I want to get some of your perspective. Many people focus on sort of the last decade uh, since he uh, abdicated and stepped down as Pope became Pope Emeritus. But I want to go back a little bit further in terms of uh, what was it that really shaped him, his time as Pope, uh, and what are some of the lessons that we ought to be thinking about this week? You know, he followed a legend. John Paul II was was a monumental figure. And in in most of John Paul's tenure, kind of the hidden power behind him was Pope Benedict, then known yeah. as Cardinal Ratzinger. And don't think people in the Vatican were ready for a major break after John Paul died, and Ratzinger was kind of a continuity pope. Mm. Same ideas were behind him. He had a similar vision for the faith, but he just wasn't as good at the job. He wasn't as good of a manager. And his eight years were were fairly rocky. You know, he continued doing what he'd done as a cardinal in terms of belief. You know, he was very vocal about how the faith needed to sort of stand on on his bedrocks, even if that meant a smaller religion of kind of ardent believers. He, He was not like Pope Francis, kind of trying to reach the world. But there were scandals, not just on sexual abuse, and there were a lot of internal sagas inside the Vatican. And and indeed, with abuse, you know, that was a time when, you know, some something that had started in America was spreading across Europe. And one expose after the, the next was really causing huge, huge spasms of fury in a lot of countries where Catholicism had been a, a, a major part of, you know, the texture of the yeah. country for centuries. Yeah. So that was his tenure. And it, it ended, of course, with this historical decision to step down before death. So I want to dig into that a little bit. We always say uh, you never want to be the guy to follow the guy. Uh, when, if you look at it from a football coaching standpoint or, or big business, you never want to be that person right. who follows the legend. But often the person who follows usually is that behind-the-scenes person who's uh, been doing you know so many things that people didn't really see. Uh, but then suddenly when they're thrust into the middle of it all, uh, they may not have that same charisma or that same ability or soft touch. Uh, whatever, whatever it may be, but describe for us just a little bit some of that behind the scenes in terms of uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger's influence on John Paul II's legacy. I, I think that the reputation, and it's hard for me to say how much of this is true because I was not covering the Vatican then, but the reputation that Cardinal Ratzinger had was kind of as like, you know, the, the person who would do the dirty work of the church, <laughs> yeah. um, who would who, whereas John Paul was very externally focused, um, Cardinal Ratzinger was focused on meeting out discipline to theologians mm. who weren't towing the line. He was in charge of the doctrinal office that dealt with abuse cases, so yeah, he knew the scale of things. Yeah, And and so he was, this is the time when he kind of earned the, the nickname God's Rottweiler, which... <laughs> 
some people say is applied unfairly, but that's based on a, a reputation that was there inside the church. That's not something that was created uh, from from people farther away. So you know that's that's sort of the that was the breeding ground for his fame inside the church. But you know it's also true that he was obviously beloved enough by enough people that he was then elected pope. Right. So he knew everybody. He knew all the cardinals. Mm. He was seen generally as the smartest man in the room. Mm. The people who voted for him had been re- reading his theological work for, for years, even at the time he was elected pope. And he's a gift. He's an extremely gifted writer. He's known for his intellect. And I think not, not unfairly. Uh, he's written multiple volumes about Jesus, and that's just kind of the starting point of his work, which I will not be getting too fully in my lifetime, but but maybe maybe the beginnings of it I can I can speak about from an educated point of view. I mean, he knows he knows his stuff more than the average person in the church, so he was widely respected for that, and that is what vaulted him to become pope. Yeah, and so interesting. Uh, I mean, there clearly is a, a depth and and his ability. Uh, I think his writings on Jesus, I think, are, are so significant. And anyone who does dare to take that deep dive in there, uh, I think, is always rich, richly rewarded. Uh, and it's one of those interesting things to me that here he had such depth, uh, and yet it was almost as if uh, he was uh, better prepared for a different time. You know, when when we were on this break of all of the internet and social media uh, that Pope Francis has navigated incredibly well, uh, it seemed like uh, uh, Pope Benedict uh, was just not ready to embrace that kind of uh, leadership or that kind of role as Pope. Probably true. You know, he is kind of often given the shorthand of somebody who was the reluctant Pope. Mm. Having now gone back and watched how how elated he seemed in those first uh, days of his pontificate, I don't think that's true at all. But the weight of the job definitely was something that that hung around his shoulders mm. very heavily. And I think in the end, through intermediaries, he was able to admit that he did not enjoy and was not very good at the job of managing the Roman Curia and and the Church. And you know, part of the job. It's a hard job, obviously, yeah. because you're you have at least two tracks. You're dealing with sort of the power broker of these, you know, you're dealing with these power brokers, these ambitious men who are immediately around you, and then you're dealing with the 1.2 or 1.3 billion Catholics in the world yeah. who want everything and anything, and it differs depending on what part of the world you go to. So, you know, how do you how do you be both of those things? It's hard to, you know, Pope Francis is definitely better at being being present to the, the Catholics than he is at managing. Yeah. Um, Pope Benedict was not so good at managing, and he wasn't so good at being this charismatic figure for the Catholics. What he was good at was was being a theologian. Right. He was great at that. Um, and that was the characteristic that made him so respected, but it, it didn't quite match with the demands of the job. So one of the people we were talking to recently said he thought in paragraphs and maybe for a pope of the 1700s that would have been that would have been perfect but for a pope of uh of the more modern age who's giving press conferences on planes and speaking to to kids and trying to console abuse victims and so on it's harder we're going to stay with the conversation just a little bit longer. My conversation with Chico Harlan, who's the Rome Bureau Chief for the Washington Post, as we talk about the life and legacy of Pope Benedict XVI, uh, this whole idea that he was he was always the smartest person in the room and people recognized that and that he thought in paragraphs. 
and when we live in a soundbite world, I think that was a great challenge for Pope Benedict XVI. We'll continue that conversation as we continue with Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Tomorrow, former Pope Benedict XVI will be laid to rest at the Vatican. And interesting, uh, Pope Francis will be conducting those services. That's a very rare moment in the Catholic Church that you have a, a pope conducting uh, the uh, funeral for his predecessor. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I spoke early this morning with Washington Post uh, Rome Bureau Chief Chico Harlan, uh, live from Rome, about the former pope. Uh, I asked him about uh, the issues of having two popes at the same time, what challenges that represented to the church. Uh you know, we've had uh, some different things come up over the last decade or so during that period. Uh, but then the question really becomes, so what does this now mean for Pope Francis and the church moving forward? My sense is that Pope Francis's job in the short term will be a little bit easier, but but not much easier. Mm. Yes, it is. It is definitely true that Pope Benedict had become, I think, I think not so much because of his own actions, but he was, he was used by some traditionalists as the symbol. You know, they were nostalgic for him, mm-hmm. and they, they kind of used him as a rallying point for opposition to Francis. This was the, their imagined um, alternative reality. This idea, oh, if, if Benedict had stayed on, he would not have been taking the church in this direction. So that made the dynamic, you know, it became very difficult for the church to have, to have two popes with, well, one Pope Emeritus and one sitting Pope, but with two very clearly different visions of the Church. I think that drove conservatives kind of crazy. Um, But, you know, how much did Pope Benedict have to do with that? Not much. There were a couple very, very well-known instances in which he did speak out and and did make life complicated for for Pope Francis, and clearly went against his own pledge at the outset of retirement to, to take a back seat. So I, I think I can think of two examples. Uh, one in 2019 regarding sex on sex abuse when he, when he spoke out and, and had some very different prescriptions for the problem than, than Pope Francis. And then later on the issue of, uh, of celibacy, which you think is, you know, kind of open and shut case in the Vatican. But, but at the time the Vatican was considering some exceptions, some very narrow exceptions. And Benedict spoke out about that. Um, anyway, I don't think Pope Francis or anybody else in the church will miss those moments of chaos. But at some point, there probably will be two popes again, and, and Francis might indeed be, be one on the other side. So 
you know, the, this this moment of quote unquote normalcy might actually just be a mid a little midpoint before little we get low. back to the new normal of, <laughs> of two popes again. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you that you raised this in several of your pieces in the in the Washington Post, uh, talking about how Pope Francis may now that Pope Benedict has has passed that he may lay out some more formalities in terms of what happens when you have an emeritus pope and what that should look like and what the rules are. Uh, so do you think that's something that's likely uh, in the offing in the coming months? It's something that everybody who cares about the church and watches it, um, all the sort of the Kremlin, all the Vaticanologists say should happen. Whether Francis has some document on his desk ready to go, I couldn't tell you. Um, but if he's listening to to you know the circles um, around him, then he's at least given it some thought. Uh, I can say that much. Mm. the The rules would make the act of retiring cleaner in the future. Mm-hmm. And part of what made Benedict's path in the last ten years tricky is because he made some decisions. It's not that he retired per se. It's more that he made decisions that fixed him as an ex pope rather than a retired bishop of Rome. Mm. So if he had just been, you know, if he'd become Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger again right. and moved outside of the Vatican, that could have made it easier than having this weird image of two men in white inside the Vatican walls. Yeah. Um, I think I think any any credible rules would seek to avoid that circumstance from happening again. Yeah. So as you look to the uh, the funeral, of course, which uh, Pope Francis will preside over, uh, are there any things that you're looking for, or expect to hear, or ways that uh, this uh, this pope is remembered or framed as we move into the funeral processions on Thursday? Well, I'm just interested in what Pope Francis will say about him. Um, I personally haven't been very moved by what he said about Benedict so far. I think mm-hmm. I think I've been surprised in how sparing his remarks have been and how kind of normal he's proceeded with his week, how normally he's proceeded with his week. And what I keep thinking to myself is that, oh, he's just saving everything for tomorrow. You know, even on the day of Benedict's death, he was kind of being, he was being wheeled around St. Peter's Square with, with these sort of adoring um, faithful out to see him. You know, he looked, he looked mm. extremely happy. Yeah. And I thought it was I thought it was a strange I thought it was really strange. Um so I think he has a big opportunity tomorrow. It's funny because they say that no pope has ever buried his predecessor, which is well there's other you know, it's a long the church has a long history. But right. actually one of the more interesting things is that Cardinal Ratzinger gave the homily for John Paul's death. Right. When he was ten days away from becoming Pope. So I was rereading that you know, it was very mm. beautiful. Yeah. He kind of was weaving biography and, and passages from the Bible, and you know, was a, like, he really brought John Paul to life one more time. And, uh, but they were, you know, they were kind of besties. So <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be very interested to see how this, how this shapes out tomorrow. And, and I think that, that Pope Francis does have a tall job ahead of him because Benedict's legacy is more checkered than John Paul's was in 2005, and they do have more differences. You know, stay tuned. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. <laughs> All right. And then final question for you. Uh, what's, the, what's the one thing uh, about Pope Benedict XVI uh, that's kind of under the, the radar? What's the one uh, surprise thing or underappreciated thing or curious thing that uh, we ought to remember about Pope Benedict that uh, maybe we don't think about enough? 
I mean, I don't know. He was a cat lover. <laughs> he's like the <laughs> piano. Uh, to me, he's just a conundrum because he he spent his whole life kind of preserving the norms of the faith, and then mm. he changed. He transformed the, the pontificate forever mm. with his decision to to retire. Uh. So he ended up being he ended up being like super conservative radical. Uh, so that probably means that anything you read about him that sounds too simplified, mm-hmm. don't trust it. I think he was more complex than that. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, super conservative, radical, uh, and very complex. I think that's a, a good way to <laughs> to frame that. Uh, so grateful. Uh, Chico Harlan is the Rome Bureau Chief of the Washington Post. Uh, Chico, thanks so much for your perspective. Great insight. And we look forward to your continued reporting as we move uh, into the funeral uh, for Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah, thanks for your good questions and, and your interest. So again, as we look towards the funeral tomorrow, will be very early morning Utah time, uh, funeral processions for Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, and I do think those uh, some of those key framing components I think are are important, and there are great lessons in there. Yes, uh, everyone is complicated and complex and messy. Uh, and no one is an instant saint. Uh, we all have things to overcome. But I think some of the important lessons, uh, I think, of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, we often talk about his depth, the depth of his writing. I loved that framing that Chico shared with us that he he thought in paragraphs. And we actually live in this world that is losing its ability to think deeply or to stay with a question longer. And I think that is a quality from Pope Benedict XVI that all of us, all of us could begin to implement today to just slow down a little bit, to get outside of just the quick sound bites, the quick things, the headlines, the clickbait, the scrolling through our social media, and just think a little deeper. His writings were deep, especially his writings about Jesus. That's worth a a read today, to be sure. Uh, This was someone who uh, was a a conservative, a radical uh, in many of the things that he did. And that's an interesting uh, set of qualities that uh, Pope Benedict had. Uh, But I think the thing for me is this ability to think deeper uh, and to reflect longer on the questions of our day, that they're not all going to be resolved in an instant or in a moment, but that sometimes you just have to be willing to stay with the question. And occasionally we have to think so deeply that we can begin to think in paragraphs. I love that. Great uh, lessons from Pope Emeritus Benedict. The 16th funeral will be tomorrow in Rome. Uh, So grateful for Chico Harlan and uh, his insight uh, from Rome uh, this morning and appreciate his insight. That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Coming up, hour number two will be joined live by U.S. Uh, Ambassador to Turkey, Jeff Flake, will join us on the line. Coming up next, stick around. More Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on the KSL News Radio app and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. 
but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.